0: Today's uh, passage comes from Luke chapter 14. If you guys have a Bible, I know you guys all have your cell phones with you. Uh, open up your Bible. The slide's not working right now. It's to Luke 14, uh, verses 25 through 33. So if you guys have your, uh, I want to encourage you guys to carry your Bible around if you can. I know that you know we're in the digital age and nobody carries a Bible, but it's always good. Uh, if you guys want to study the Bible, it's always best to do it on in, in a An actual Bible, you can highlight and do all that stuff. And so I want to encourage you guys to carry a Bible around if you can. Um, No pressure, you know, you guys all have your phones, so it's good. Uh, Luke 14, I'm going to read it to you, verses 25 to 33. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, talking about Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother.'" verse 31 or what king uh, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 and if not while he while the other is yet to a great ways off he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So whether, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Uh, my sermon today is entitled "The count, uh, count the Cost." I believe you saw it earlier. It says "Count the Cost." It's about counting the cost of discipleship. Our discipleship, um, you know, ministry is going to be starting up uh, with this month, um, and this is, a, this is a sermon that I preached a few years back. But I thought it was very fitting as we're going to be going into a season of discipleship, um, and it's a season where we really have to understand like what discipleship is, how it affects our life, and what kind of cost um, truly following Jesus should have uh, in us, and 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 what kind of cost um, do we do must we count as we follow Jesus? You know, many of you guys probably grew up in the church. I know that I I did, and I know a lot of you guys have. Uh, grown up in the church, you guys have been Christians for a long time, and we know that all the good stuff about about following Jesus, you get the blessings, you get your peace and joy, uh, you know, there's grace and mercy, Uh and so many amazing good things comes with following Jesus, you know, he says that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, you know, he'll love us, he loves us so much and He died on the cross for our sins. We have salvation and we get to see, be in eternity with Him. Those are all the, 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 the goods, the good things that comes with following Jesus. But Jesus tells us a whole lot about the cost of following Him. Uh, the passage we just read talks about cost right it's about he's saying like like you know who doesn't sit down and and if they're going to build a house who doesn't sit down and count the cost of what it's going to take to build a house whoever you know if you're a king and you're going out to battle you know who doesn't count the cost of what the the, the battle would you know entail and and what it will cost um to go into battle uh, and it's talking about counting the cost of following Jesus, and he he lays down this very extreme um, rhetoric about you know if you if you don't hate your own father and mother and wife and children brother and sister and even in your life even your own life you cannot be my disciple. And so he puts you know and what he's saying you guys have to understand uh, when he says things like this when Jesus uses language like this he's not using it like like literally. In a sense, he's using hyperbole. You guys know what hyperbole is, right? Um, You guys, you know, went to had you know if you guys grew up speaking English and English class, you guys know about hyperbole. It's like you're blowing things out of proportion just to make a point, right? You make big of certain things and you take things to the extreme um, to make a point, uh, to really nail down a point. And um, and there's other places in the Bible where Jesus talks about counting the cost. Luke nine, he says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, and Matthew 10, it says, whoever loves father or mother, uh, father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Um, it's important for us to understand the cost of following Jesus, to assess the cost of what it is going to be like to truly follow Jesus and declare him and consider him Um, and giving up our you know control and allowing him to be lord of our lives what is that going to entail what kind of cost will that have on our lives, because many people follow jesus when, it, when it's like rainbows and flowers and you know all of the the the, the, uh, the good pasture and like the the streams of living water and all of that you know it's just it's like it's, it's good when when things are going well and when God is like you know when you're receiving from God his his blessings and his love um, it's good to say that you're a follower of Jesus, but when circumstances arise. And 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 there's things happening in your life, and you realize that you know there's a cost to following Jesus. Many people fall away. Many people they're, they put their faith on the back burner. Um, they put other things before their faith, and 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 faith just becomes something that they have in their back pocket, but they don't really consider it truly something that um, they value, and and it's deep like a deep meaningful thing in their life. Uh, Jesus talks about this in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, or uh Matthew 13, 20 to 20, I think that's different. Um, no, there's another verse before this where he talks about he um, says, Enter Oh no, there's one be okay. Oh, I, I went all I went like crazy out of order. Okay, I'll try to find find it soon. Uh Matthew thirteen, twenty to twenty-three, twenty it says, As for what was sown on rock rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. And so this is kind of what Jesus is talking about in this parable, where you know a lot of people receive the word, they receive the gospel, they receive grace and and mercy, and they and they're like, wow, this is you know like this, this is great. But then as soon as things of this world start to kind of weigh down on them, cares of this world, or or persecution arises, or or they we're following Jesus they realize that, that things have to change in their lives right they they kind of fall away and they fall to the wayside uh, you know we have to know that there is a cost to discipleship and a cost to following Jesus um, it says enter there's a passage where Jesus says he says enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destructions and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. If you really like base what Jesus is literally saying in this case. He's saying that becoming a Christian isn't necessarily like an easy thing. It's not like, you know, it's not something that you can just kind of like check off and say, "All oh, right, I did it when I was in high school," and then just kind of go about your business. But he says that to enter the gate is it, it's a narrow gate in a way is difficult. It's hard, um, and and so we really have to understand what it is to follow Jesus and count the cost of following Jesus. Uh, we need to learn. That grace that Jesus brings us into is not cheap, right? Jesus is not about cheap grace. You know, one of the books that I've read, I read it before and I had to read it for a class recently on discipleship is by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who's ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? He's a German evangel- evangelical pastor that um, was around during World War II. He lived, um, you know, he was, he was there during the German occupation and he was... A, a German living in Germany during the time of Hitler, uh, and he, he was against the war, he was against the Nazi regime, um, he was an adamant resistor of the Nazi dictatorship, um, and, you know, he was a, he was like a pastor slash spy, and when you kind of read about his life and his story, um, it, 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 like, you know, he, he was a pretty amazing man. And he was he was really working to bring down the Nazis and try to set up a post-Hitler Germany. He wanted to set up like like a a, a Germany after the Nazis and after Ger- uh, after Hitler, like what it would look like. He helped German Jews escape to Switzerland and other parts of Europe, um, and he was arrested by the Gestapo and he was accused in Hitler's uh, assassination attempt. And it was really sad, he was in prison and he ultimately was executed 21 days before Adolf Hitler died. Right. Uh, literally 21 days, not even a month before the end of the war in Europe, uh, he was executed. And uh, in his book, he writes, uh, in, it's, a, "It's a it's an awesome book. It's called Cost of Discipleship." He writes, "Cheap grace is a deadly em- enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace." And he goes on to say, "This is when we this is what we mean by cheap grace." The grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin and from whom sin departs. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is a grace we bestow upon ourselves. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and in incarnate. And so, when he talks about cheap grace, it's like this grace that we impart upon ourselves. We're like, oh, we just in our mind, Jesus will forgive me. You know, He's all about love and you know, love and 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 forgiveness. And so, you know, I'm just going to apply this this grace, knowing that you know, I heard somewhere that Jesus, you know, He died for my sin, so it's all good, right? But there is a cost to following Jesus, and there's a cost that we must pay. Bonheffer was like. You know, as a follower of Jesus, I cannot allow what's happening to just go on without me resisting, right? Without me going against it. I can't, as a believer of Jesus, he like, he truly believed in Jesus to the point where he saw what was happening and said, I have to do something about it. Something needs to change. I have to be the catalyst that, that tries to, you know, change what's, what's going on here in Germany. He knew that there was a cost to truly follow Jesus in the midst of this Nazi regime, and he ultimately paid the the cost with his life. So today I want to kind of talk about like what it looks like for us to truly follow Jesus and and for us to assess and understand the cost of discipleship. What is truly the cost of discipleship in our life? What is it supposed to look like? And the first thing is uh we have to to really understand is that Jesus must be above all else. And he, Jesus talks about this at the beginning of, of the passage that we first read. He, he says, you know, like, you know, if, if you don't um, you know, hate your own father and mother and, and wife and children and, and, and all of these things, um, you cannot be my disciple, right? And and you know whoever loves father more or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Right? He's saying that you know God has to be above all else in our lives. He has to be our number one. Right? And, and that's pretty extreme. When you hear that, it sounds really extreme, right? Um, but that's the cost. Now this doesn't mean that you don't love your family, that you don't you know love your children. Josh and Tiffany are they're about to have their baby uh, girl Iris and um, you know when she's born they're going to love her to death they're love her to death right now right you know and, and, and then when they read this they might be tempted like oh I'm supposed to hate my daughter right that's not what Jesus is saying right Jesus is not saying that that we're supposed to hate our daughters you know, I'm not supposed to I'm supposed to hate our, my kids and hate my wife and, and only love Jesus um, that's the he's using hyperbole right he's using this this rhetoric that people use to um, you know make a point but uh, you know but He's saying that we have to have priority. Priority. God must be our priority above all else. Um, do you love God above all? And this is hard. This is not something that's easy to do. I really love my kids. I love my wife, right? But you know, like, like, what is it supposed to look like in my life? How am I supposed to like love God, and 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 still like follow the command that Jesus has given me that He must be number one. What does this look like? Now, I want to give you the key to understanding this, um, key to understanding, like, what Jesus is saying here about counting the cost. And, and this is the key. If you want to truly love your kids, truly love your wife, truly love your mother and your father, and even your mother-in-law, right, you must love God first. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying, right? Because He gives you the ability to love. All right? He gives you the ability to love. Like everybody can love. Everybody in the world kind of understands love to a certain degree. But he gives us the ability to love the way that God wants us to love on people. Right. You know God is all about love, right? He says his greatest commandment, love others, love you, you know, love your neighbor, love you, even your enemies, right? Well, how do we do that? Right? How do how am I supposed to love my enemy? How am I supposed to love that person that's talking trash about me? You know, at work, how am I supposed to love that? Love, love my enemy that you know that cheated on me, or how am I supposed to love you know the the the, the guy that cut me off on the road and like you know you know gave me the dirty you know thing? Like, what, what, like, how am I supposed to do that? Well, it, it starts with us loving God first. When we love God, when we try to understand God's love, we start to understand how much He loves us, and through that love, He teaches us how to love. He says, "I love because He first loved me," right? You know, and so. This is what Jesus is saying. It's like when you He's not saying don't hate your kids. He's not saying like hate your kids. He's not saying hate your wife. But he's saying if you truly want to know how to love your wife, if you truly want to know how to love your children, you have to love God first. He has to be first in your life. He you has to receive the kind of love, the unconditional love that God has for you. And that has to be manifested in your life to the point where now you're able to give that away to the people that, you, that God surrounds you with. Right? He gives you the ability to love right, to love true, to love sacrificially. And I didn't really learn this until I had, I got married and I started having kids. Like when I, when I, when I, when I, you know, had my kids, and and I, I like, I was like, oh, I love them so much, right? At first they're cute and they're just like, rah, 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 and it's so easy to love them, right? But they get to an age where they just become like crazy people, right? They call it the terrible twos for a reason, those sayings exist for a reason, and then you just want to just like, you want to be lazy, you you just want to like, you know, you start getting selfish, you say like, well, what about my time, right, I remember like, when I first had Mina, when we first had kids, and we had Ethan, he was just like, so cute, and we just want to give him all our attention, and blah, 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 but then it gets to a point, when Ezra came around, we've already done everything like that, and then now it's just like, dude, this is Like, like our our flesh rises up, and it's like, oh, you're kind of annoying, right? Like, why are you saying that over and over again? Why are you? you And then, and then, and I have the, I have the temptation to just, to just be in my flesh, and and then be selfish. And you know what? There's a ton of people out there that live that way. Why do you think there's so many people that the kids that grow up have father issues and mother issues? Because they just they get to the point where it's not that they don't want to love their kids. Right? They just don't know how to love the way that God teaches us how to love, right? That's why Jesus says He must be first. He must be above all else. Only when He is first and we receive His love the way that we're, we're supposed to receive it, only then can we truly live the life that God wants for us with the people that He surrounds us with. Putting Him first is how we see ourselves, you know, we free ourselves of idolatry, right? You know, it's easy for our children to become our idols. I, if you look at the Korean, uh, uh the world out there, right? Like there there's so many, like the 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 um the birth rate is like the lowest in the world, by like I think point two percent or something, right? Like Japan, we're like at point eight, and Japan's like at point one something. It's like a huge gap between for, like the lowest and the second lowest, right? Um, I read an article that they're, they're considering uh, what the birth rate, a catastrophe, right? It's like they're, um, if you have a, if you, like if you have a child in Korea and you're a Korean citizen, they're gonna start giving you a thousand dollars a month for one child, right? Because they wanna, they wanna get people to have more babies, right? Well, if you look at how Koreans are having kids, they're just having one kid, right? It's because they wanna, you know, having kids is getting so expensive, you got to feed them, clothe them, shelter them, but then you have to, Koreans, you know, in the Korean education system, you have to send them to hagwons, right? Hagwons, at one point, is like a worth, it's like paying for a kid's hagwon in Korea is like a full paycheck for many parents, right? They have two They have two income families because the dad pays for everything else and then the mom basically works so that they can send their kids to hagwons, right? it's just the way that the korean mentality is and the korean education system is right and so like 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 they they get to this point where they, their children become their idols right and i've seen it where they're like they just they're just like they're putting all of their eggs in one basket and they're like you you know and 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 they become their idols they they, they become spoiled they become entitled they get everything they want right And then all of a sudden, you, 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 you end up with kids that are spoiled and entitled and they think that they deserve everything they want, right? And so, so, this is kind of the way that, like, like, idolatry can kind of, like, you know, happen in so many things. We think our children can never be our idols. Yeah, it's easy for our kids to be our idols, right? Like our cars can be our idols. Our houses can be our idols. Anything that we, that God can bless us with can be our idols. And, and, and putting God first keeps us from that place of idolatry. First two of the ten commandments pertain to idolatry, right? It says, you shall not have no other gods before me, you shall not make yourself a carved, a, a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on this earth or, in, or that is in this earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, right? You shall not bow down to them or, or serve them. So, you know, the, the, the two of the, the first two commandments is dealing with idolatry is because God hates idolatry It's an abomination to him, right? Because not because he thinks that he's so great, you know, and he is. He's if anybody in this universe deserves to think like, dude, I'm so great as God. Right? And I know some of you guys, when you wake up in the morning and you shower and you look all fresh and so clean, clean and you are like, oh I feel I look so great, right? No, that's all good. But then like, you know, if anybody in this universe can say he's so great as God, but then he doesn't want us to like, you know, like not have idols it, because he thinks he's so great. The reason why he doesn't want us to have idols is because it hurts us, right? Idolatry hurts us. Idolatry separates us from God, right, who is the greatest and, and the most pure and the, the most amazing and the most loving and, and, and just he 's God, and idolatry separates us from god it 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 puts a barrier between us and god, and that 's why God hates idolatry. God hates idolatry and it 's an abomination to him, not because he he gets like oh you don 't like me so much you can 't think of God in human terms it 's because it actually hurts us it it keeps us from truly understanding and being in a relationship with God the way that we 're supposed to have, and so you know it, it, it when we put God first, it, it keeps us from idolatry. And one of the biggest blockages of intimacy with God are the blessings of God. Right? Let me say that again. One of the, the biggest blockages of intimacy with God are the blessings of God. Right? That We ask God for something and He blesses us with it and all of a sudden that becomes, the blessing becomes the idol. Right? And all of a sudden, we're so caught up in the blessing that we fail to look towards the blesser. We're playing with the things that He gives us. We don't we, we we don't we take we don't take our eyes off of the things He blesses us with, and and face the one that blessed us with it. And we have to know that the blessings of God can easily become our idols. It's only when we put God above all else, anything or anyone, that we can live in the fullness of the blessing and the love and the goodness that God has for us. We get to enjoy His blessings when we face God and say, God, I put You first. Right? When we face God and we say, God, I, I put you first and you're all that I need, right? It's okay. We can have the blessing or we can not have the blessing. We have everything we need, right? But sometimes we get so caught up in the blessings that, that, that like, you know, and when we get it, right, we think, oh, we, we need more. What if this one goes away? What if, what if, you know, like, what if I break this? And then all of a sudden, right, we're so caught up in what God blesses us with that we no longer work on or even look towards the one that blessed us with the with the one that He gave us. Putting God first doesn't mean that we love our kids less or we you know we love our wives less. It actually means that we love them more. We put God first. You experience His love, and in that love, you learn to love Him them more. You know, I've learned this recently, and I mean throughout my marriage and with me having kids, is that like the, like the more I'm closer with God, right, the more patience I have with my kids. Just the way it is. The more I experience God's love, the more I, I love Him and the more I like cherish Him, right, the more I'm loving towards my wife and more I'm loving towards my kids. That's why Jesus tells us we have to pick up the cross daily and follow Him. As we pick up our de- cross and follow Him, right, and, and the decisions that we make every day to deny ourselves and, and put Him above all else, all else, we choose His will, His plans, we choose Him first, right, everything else falls in line. Everything else starts to to you know fall in line according to God's will and God's purpose. So the first thing that we have to understand in counting the cost of discipleship is that Jesus has to be above all else. Right? And sometimes this may not seem like a cost. This is like, oh, that's not a cost. But you know what? Sometimes following and putting him above all else is a cost. I remember like when I was young and. You know, we'd go to church and, and, and we, we, we'd be, you know, like on, on fire for God. And then we, our friend starts to do things that are really fun. And, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, wow, 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 I want to do that. Right. Like, I want to sneak into a club. Right. Like, ah, I want to go do what they're doing. Right? And, and a lot of times like, like it becomes a cost when we truly follow Jesus. And the next thing we, the cost that we need to consider is that it's a cost of being different. Something I've observed with kids, especially in Korea, is that they come to an age where they don't like being different. They don't like standing like apart, right? They don't like standing out. Right? Especially Ethan used to go through that, and then now he's like he loves standing out. He's just like, oh, he loves it when he's there. he's a so sanguine. He's a very extroverted kid, and so you know he loves standing out. But Ezra still like when when we kind of like even like 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 compliment him for doing something, he gets all like. He gets all like bashful. He gets all like he doesn't want us to do it. Sometimes he gets angry because he doesn't want to stand out. He doesn't want to be different, right? And a lot of times, being different can be uncomfortable, right? But God calls us to a life where we are radically different than the world and everyone else. Romans twelve it says, "Do not." Be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Proverbs 1.15, my son, do not walk in the ways with them, hold back your foot from their path. You can't be like them. You have to, remember that drawing long time ago where there's like all these, I don't know if you ever saw all these fish, they all look like, you know, like crazy fish, they're going one direction, and you see the, you know, the little Jesus fish going the other direction, it says, like, go against the flow, right? Well, that's basically what what God wants us to do. He He doesn't want us to go in, down the same path. He wants us to be different. He wants us to stand out. First Peter two nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Right? We're 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 set apart. We're supposed to be different. Jesus tells us that we are supposed to be in a world, but not of the world. We we are to be different. We are to be the counterculture. And we have to count that as a cost when, you know, when we become followers of Jesus, we have to realize that when we truly, like, say that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, we, we, we will naturally become different. If you've been saved and your life is exactly the same as all of your friends and, and everybody else in your life, right? You're not doing it right. You, maybe, maybe you know, you need, to, you, need to, you need to grow more or maybe you really need to understand faith and you need to understand Christ. But when Jesus truly comes into your heart, things radically change, right? I remember when I was in, in, in like middle school and high school, we used to, who remembers going on church retreats when you were young, right? I used to go on church retreats, and they're like, you know, I grew up in LA, and there were a lot of like, little kids in high school. I grew up in Torrance, and I was like a goody, goody boy, good, goody, two shoes for a while, you know, I like, it didn't do anything bad, uh, for a while, and then I totally messed up my life after that, but then I, I used to have these like friends that used to like grow up in like the rougher parts of L.A. Growing up, like you're from L.A. right? Like Eagle Rock, or like you know like you know parts of like you know downtown L.A. or like you know Koreatown and and you know Hancock Park and all this. these like grew up in like kind of rougher areas. And then they used to like act like gangbangers with their pants all saggy, and you know they would like wear like these like jackets like that Ice Cube would wear, and they would want to become gangsters, right? But they would come to church retreats, and then they would actually encounter God in a powerful way, right? They would they would understand, they would they would they would like you know experience. Like Jesus and say, "Hey, she's died on the cross for you," and they they would come up and they would tell their testimonies and they would cry. And I remember seeing them like you know like they would genuinely change. They would feel like you know that you could on the outside they genuinely felt and encountered like like the the power of Jesus at these retreats, right? But all of a sudden they'd go back home. And, and these, and these kids would, you know, come down from their spiritual highs, and they'll go back home, and they'll be around their same friends at school, that still do the same thing, and they still do their, you know, wannabe gangbanger things, and then it's just too hard for them, too difficult to be different from your friends, and then they just go back doing whatever they usually smoke cigarettes and do all that stuff, and they come back, like, a few weeks later, and they're exactly the same as they were before, right? And this is what, like, kids would do, I grew up with kids like this, and, and I was a kid like this. I'm not trying to say that I was any different. But, you know, as we grow up, like, uh, we as adults, we still have the same kind of, uh, like, mindset and same kind of behavior uh, as men and women, right? We come to church and we experience God, but when we go back to work, work we go back to our friends, there's, there's no difference in the way that we live our, their lives, right? They, they, they go back and they speak the same way, they behave the same way. Because right, at the end, it's like standing out and being different is just too uncomfortable. Right? But Jesus tells us that we're not supposed to be the same as the world. We're supposed to be going, you know, we're not supposed to be going after all of the allure and the glitz and the glamour of the world. And when we truly have a relationship with Jesus, and He is our Lord, He is our Savior, we're we giving Him Lordship over our lives. He is, he, you know, and and we're following him, and, and we, we're living our lives for him. Right? The things being like different and, and, and being with Christ and, and following Christ becomes very difficult in the world. That's why the Bible talks about persecution so much. That's why the Bible talks about suffering so much. Right? Because becoming a Christian, it's, it's, it's easy when you're amongst Christians, and you're easy when you're in this community, but it, it's, it gets difficult. If you really start to stand on your principles, you start to really stand on the Word of God out there in the world, it becomes different, difficult. It's like this in America right now. In America, it's so hard. You know, I said this in my sermon a while back, is that there's kids that will go from, um high school, high school is fine, you know, they go to like, you know, you know like Christian, like high schools and they have all their Christian friends and blah, 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 but they go to, off to university and they go to like a liberal arts school and they, they can't, they can't talk about their faith to anybody because as soon as they, they mention that they're a Christian, they get persecuted, right? And, and, and I read this article that there's all these lawsuits that are happening all around America because even professors are joining in on the persecution. Right? They make fun of them for being a Christian. Like, how can you believe what you believe, right? And, and, and these, these people, these young students that are going to these universities, they're suing the school and they're actually winning because this is actually happening. It's, it's, it's a challenge to stand out in the world today. But we're supposed to be different. It just naturally happens. It changes the way that we live. You know, Jesus changes the way that we make decisions, and it changes the way that the things that we value, the plans that we make, it becomes different. Because now it's not about our will and our lives only. It's about the will of God in our lives. And being different uh, can bring difficulty, persecution. It's a cost that we have to pay. It's a cost that we have to consider. When we're following Jesus. So it's a cost of following Him. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation, right? He didn't say, in the world, you might have tribulation. He didn't say, in the world, like, sometimes there might be certain, he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. But he says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, right? Say, like, 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 don't fear the world, because, like, you know, I've overcome, I keep tapping this, and I feel like I, my, the recording is just gonna be horrible, I'm sorry, right? Hebrews 13:14 says, "For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come." Philippians 3:20, "But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ." Right? It's like, like we're not supposed to be the same as this world because we have a destination, we have a citizenship, we have a city that we are longing for that is not this world, right? As a follow when we follow Jesus, it's supposed to make us foreigners. That's right? so why in the Old Testament, there's like so many language about sojourners, right? You know what a sojourner is? It's just a, a fancy way of saying foreigner. Somebody that sojourns or goes to another country to live. It's like you guys, right? You guys are all from like like UK, America, Canada, you know, South Africa, you know, all, Indonesia. All right, you guys are here. This is not your home. Your home. You're sojourning here, right? You're just here for a little while, right? And, but that's how we're supposed to consider the world, right? We are not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of a city that is yet to come. And we're supposed to stand that. We're supposed to be different. And it's a cost that we have to pay. Right? And and, and we, we have to be willing to pay that cost. And then the third thing, and I believe that we need to uh, hold fast to when we're, you know, considering the cost of discipleship, considering the cost of following Jesus, and it's the cost of discipline, right? We cannot have true discipleship without discipline. A disciple is one who is disciplined in the ways of their teacher. If you take jiu-jitsu, right? You know, and you're you're basically, you know, the disciple of your jiu-jitsu teacher, and he's teaching you the discipline. He's disciplining you to become you know, a better Jiu-Jitsu fighter or whatever they do in Jiu-Jitsu, right? You, do you know Molly? You, you, you haven't done it yet. Oh, come on! I wanted you to do jujitsu. <laughs> She's supposed to take jujitsu, and I was like getting excited. I want to see her do jujitsu, but she has yet to do do it. Um, the Bible says that God disciplines the ones He loves, right? In Hebrews, it says, God disciplines the ones he loves. If he chew, like, and it's true with our kids, right? If I truly love my kid, I'm going to discipline my kid. I'm not going to just let him wow out and do whatever he wants. It's, it's not a loving thing to do as a parent, right? And I've seen kids like that. I've seen kids that the parents don't really discipline their kids, right? And it's not because, you know, they don't want to... You know, it's just it's just out of laziness. It's just out of like you know they just want to appease their kids to you know make them quiet. And so these kids grow up and you know they just like think they could do whatever they want and it's like you know like they're wild out. But that's not the most loving thing you could do for your kids. Your kids need discipline, right? Maybe it might, might not be like you know like like you know spankings, but they need to know what it is to be disciplined, right? They need to know that what is good and what is right. They need to know that there's gonna be you know there's like we were at um. Where were we yesterday? We were eating dinner at Lotte department store, and then we, you know, and then me and Mina were still eating, and then the kids finished first, and then, and then Ethan came up to me and was like, ah, I'm so bored, right? And I was like, Ethan, you need to sit down and just learn to be patient. It's just, patience and waiting is a part of life, right? Like, like, you know, he's yet to stand in a line, right? Because every time we go somewhere, Right and we have to stand in line. I stand in line and they just go and play and do whatever they want. And when we get to the front of the line they come and then we, we know we go through or whatever, right? They've yet to like actually have to stand in line. And for them patience is very difficult, right? But it's a part of discipline. We have to teach our kids how to be disciplined in that way. And the same with with God. God disciplines the ones He loves. He disciplines us. There will be seasons of disciplines and difficulty and challenges and struggles in our life. Seasons where God's grace doesn't seem to be over us. And we feel like, Oh God, you're far from me. God, what have I done? You hate me. No, it just might be that you're in a season of discipline. There's wilderness seasons in your life. God will be like, Hey, you're doing so well. And a lot of people think when these seasons come, they're like, Oh, I did something wrong. I used to be like this. I used to go, but like these difficult wilderness seasons would come. I used to think like, oh, I did something wrong. And then God hates me. And that's why, no, a lot of times, wilderness seasons come because you're doing something right. You're actually doing, living the way that God wants you to live. And then he's like, you know what? You know, like, like Abraham, he's, he's so, he's doing so well and he's, he's in the place and, I, and I wanna, I wanna discipline him so that he can go to the next level. I wanna challenge him, I wanna strengthen him so that he can actually go through and, and, and when he goes through these obstacles and when he goes through these, these, these challenges, he's gonna exert, you know, spiritual energy and, and faith and it's gonna actually, when he gets out into the other side, he's gonna become that much stronger. It's like when we exercise. When we exercise, we put resistance to our muscles, right? You know, like you know, Josh knows way more about exercise than me, right? But but you can't just exercise with no resistance, or else it's not exercise. Right, you need that resistance, right? As 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 you as you you do you know a a arm curl or you know like you do squats, right? And and there's resistance. That resistance actually is tearing the muscles in our in our bodies, and it's rebuilding it, and it's actually making it stronger, right? It's stretching it out, and it's it's like that resistance is causing it to become stronger. Well, discipline is the same way in our lives, right? Wilderness seasons. Seasons of difficulty, seasons of struggle, seasons where we, where God seems far from us and we have to actually cry out to Him and call out to Him and, and, and use our faith to encounter Him will actually make us stronger. If we don't understand this as a cost of following Jesus, the moment that true struggle comes, we're going to start to crumble. Right? And we're going to be tempted to go out into the world and solve our problems on our own. And as soon as an obstacle comes, we're we'll just like, oh, I give up, you know. But we have to understand it's a cost of dis of discipleship. It's a cost of discipline. He 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 disciplines the ones that he loves. Right? He he disciplines us. So when you're going through a, a struggle, when you're going through a season where things feel dry, and I've ever I, I I've been through a long wilderness season for myself in the last like you know two three years, and I just felt really dry, and I just felt like ah. Oh, I'm like, you know, all these like struggles and all of these issues and you know, for me it's stress and all these stress would rise up in me. I'd be like, ah, no. But then at the end of the day, I felt like God is saying, hey, I want, I'm taking you to a new season. I'm bringing you through this season. You just have to hold on to me and cling to me. I feel better for it. I feel stronger for it. I feel like I have more faith for it. But I actually have to go through that. I have to actually be disciplined. No one likes discipline. Is is not you know like we're not supposed to be like oh thank you God you're disciplining me like when I when I you know like today like our kids were wilding out in our house like, like crazy like like you know I don't let them watch TV in the morning these days you know I've been really trying to be strict about my eyes are just like getting really dry from these lights I've been trying to really strict about like restricting their TV watching and so in the morning I didn't watch let them watch any TV well the consequence for that is they wail out right. They like, you know, they're like in their underwear. I don't know why they get in their underwear. Uh, I I came out and they're all like, I put pajamas on them at night. They wake up and they just like they're in their underwear and they have like like weapons on them and like uh, like sometimes we'll put tape. Like little things on their bodies to look like robots, and they're like whiling out, and they're like, and then and then they like went a little too crazy, and they did some kind of like something like dangerous, and they're like, hey, that's you can't do that, you can't be like that, can't hit each other like that. And so like, like you know, like I, I give them a spanking, and when I do that, they don't be like, oh, hey, like they they like they like, oh, don't want, I don't want it, and they get all freaked out, and then they realize at the end it's never as bad as they think it's gonna be. But nobody likes discipline, but then you have to, we have to learn that we may not like it, but we have to learn that it's, it's, it's good for us. It's because the one that disciplines us can be trusted. Do you understand? The one that disciplines us can be trusted. It says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? We have to count the cost. We have to count the cost of following Jesus. Now, I want to close today with the key in how we're we're to, you know, bear the cost of following Jesus. Right? There are two ways that we can bear the cost of following Jesus. Right? One leads to death, and the other one leads to life. Right? The first way we can bear the cost by following Jesus out of duty, out of obligation. We but bearing the cost of following jesus this way is putting ourselves under the law right right where following jesus is an obligation it's it's something that i have to do right and and, and we know that under the the it says in, in the, all of paul talks about it under the law the law leads to death right so when we when we see god in this way Right, a lot of times we see him as a taskmaster. we have zombies, he's like trying to trying to squash us, and we're like, oh, I'm I'm doing everything I can, God, you know, like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to live my life the way that you want me to, do. you know. That's one way that we can try to 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 count the cost and bear the cost of following Jesus. And the other is we bear the cost of following Jesus out of relationship and love, right? We 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 we, we find ourselves in a relationship with Jesus. We follow him because we know who he is. He, and we know what he has done for us and we know that how much he loves us and how much he is for us. And he loves us. It's for us and we walk out our lives out of the overflow of his great love for us, right? We realize how he loves us so much. It, it, it's a place of relationship. Right? We go to him. Like When we fail, we go to him. When we succeed, we go to him. When we struggle, we go to Him. When we're tempted, we go to Him. Right. These are the two ways, and one leads to death, and the and relationship will lead to life. Bearing the cost of, you know, following Jesus. A lot of times, you know, when I was younger, i would do it the first, under the law. I'd be like an obligation. I, I would not do certain things because I know that I wasn't supposed to do it, and if I do, then I'm gonna be in trouble, right? And then, and then, and then I feel far from God, and like I like it's a it was like a, st- it was a set of rules that I was supposed to follow, right? But then it wasn't until like as I grew in my faith that I realized oh, it's a relationship with God. And I remember the first time I had this cathartic moment with God. I was like, God, I failed, I failed miserably, right? And, and then I went to Him. I was like, Ah. Oh, what do you want me to do and he was just like you failed I still love you I still accept you right Let me tell you when you are in love with Jesus truly you know love him from a place of knowing him and and knowing who he is bearing the cost of following becomes natural right It's easy it's like when our kids follow me you know no matter how much they fuss and argue with me at the end of the day right they They trust me, and so they follow me, they know that I love them right right they, they they like like they'll argue with me, we can argue with God, and we might i they disagree with me, I disagreed with God, but at the end of the day they they end up doing right following me why because they love me and they trust me, and they know that I love them, and it's like that with God. It's like, like we feel like, you know, it's all—it's like a one-sided conversation with God. God tells us what to do; we just do it. No, we can have a conversation with Him. We say, God, I want this in my life, and He's like, Hey, you know, that might not be the best thing for you. And you're like, Okay, well, I want something like this. And oh, then then just, just wait and have patience. Look towards Me, and then, and then He might lead you through a season of, like, you know of trials and difficulty, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is this is exactly what I wanted, God. This is exactly the place that I wanted to be. We follow Him out of relationship. When it's out of duty, obligation, under the law, it's hard, it's heavy. And so many people like this, you know, when you kind of talk to them about their perception of God, it's usually as a God that's far, at a distance, they don't talk to you, He's aloof, right? He's a taskmaster. He judges you, right? And he can't wait till he catches you in a mistake. He can't can wait till he, he catches you in a lie. And that's the way that people that live under the law. That's way. That's the way that they're gonna think. That's the way that they're gonna process their relationship with God. That's why in First Corinthians thirteen it tells us that love is the most important thing. God is love, and without love. We can't know and understand God. First John four seven and eight says, "For God is of love, and everyone who loves is born of God and lo- knows God. Who he who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love, and so if you don't know God, right, you you, you you're not going to know love. And if you if you love, you you're somebody that actually knows and understands God, because He is love. If you aren't in love with God." God's burden feels heavy. I'm like, man, I, I I thought your burden was light, God. You know, why why are you giving me all these struggles? Why is my burden? Why is my, the weight so heavy? Why is everything so difficult? You no, know? but when we're in a relationship with God, it says that my burden is like Matthew 11:28 says, "Come to me, all who are." are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light if you if you want if you want this if you want you know our relationship with God to feel light and 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 easy and, and not a burden it's only through relationship You have to know Him, you have to understand Him, you have to, you have to go to Him and encounter Him. Seek Him out, and He will be found by you. It all comes down to love, it all comes down to relationship with Jesus. Are you experiencing his, his love and worship and in praise and prayer in the Word? Are you encountering Him in the in the Word? Are you encountering Him in the Bible? Are you encountering Him in prayer, where you where you pray, not just like you know memorize prayers, but you you pray and you have a real conversation with Him, where you where you like empty your heart and empty your soul, and even not just the the good things, but even the bad things and even your struggles, and you allow God to hear you out. And then you wait on Him and He gives you peace in your heart and He starts to lead you in the ways of His ways. Because when you have a relationship like that with God, it's gonna be like this. His yoke is gonna be easy and His burden is gonna be light. But we still, at the end of the day, have to, to assess the cost of following Him. Have you, have you considered the cost of what it is to follow Jesus? You know that, that you will be different, that you, you, you will be, you, you will stand out, and you will have discipline in your life, you will have seasons of, of, of difficulty and trials and challenges that God institutes in your life so that you become stronger. And it all comes out when you start to put Him first, and you, 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 you put Him above all else, and you learn to live in a, a true loving relationship with God where you understand His love and understand His great His great love for you and for us. So I'll stand up and let's close in prayer. Father God, we just thank You that Your burden is light. Your yoke is light. And Lord, You invite us into this relationship. You tell us To come unto you, all who are weak and weary, and we can find rest for ourselves, God. Help us to be people that seek you out in relationship, or that we will count the cost of what it is to follow you, not out of a place of obligation or duty, but from a place of, Lord, true love and acceptance and relationship with you, or help us to, to look to you, Lord not as a taskmaster or or one that will judge us and catch us in mistakes, Lord, but one that loves us dearly so much. You want to give us everything. You want to give us your best. And, and, And it comes from us understanding, that understanding that can only come from relationship. I pray that for all of us, that we will go deeper and deeper in relationship with you. Help us to be people that seek you out and encounter you. Uh, I just pray that you'll help us to seek you out in prayer and in your word and in meditation. and Lord, that As we con- encounter you and as we find you, Lord, we will experience you in a way where the cost of following you just falls away. And your burden is is light. Your yoke is light. Lord, we thank you that, that you were there for us and that you are not far from us. And we just give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. We thank you, Lord.